What if a black girl knew? You are listening to WIA BGK, the What If a Black Girl Knew podcast. I am your host, Dilemma, and this show is sponsored by my one woman show at Battersea Art Center for Women, showing on March 21st, 22nd, and 23rd for Women. I have another special guest for you today, Toby. Kiramatang. I refer to myself as a cultural producer. So that's a very recent change though, because I was having like an existential crisis about <laughs> what, to, <laughs> what to call myself. Because <laughs> before it was just like theatre producer, but then I started doing stuff beyond theatre. Yes. Not beyond theatre, but other things outside of that industry. So it felt, and I felt like, oh, I hadn't produced a theatre show in ages. Okay. Does it still make sense to call myself a theatre producer? Mm. And then Suzanne, who I work with at Apples and Snakes, was like cultural producer. And I was like, cool. cool. Toby Kiramatang is a theatre, poetry and festival producer based in southwest London. She is invested in creating proactive and significant live performance, exploring social politics, community engagement and artistic collaboration. She has worked with organisations including places like Apples and Snakes, Bush Theatre, Old Vic, Battersea Art Centre, Oval House and Roundhouse. Her work is revered by many people in the industry. When I, when I used to work at um, Battersea Art Centre, every year we'd run a festival called Homegrown Festival, which is all... Um, work made by young people ages 12 to 29 it's run by young people ages 12 to 29 everything for the week the complete building is taken over um and it's a lot of work but it's like one of my favorite favorite things and I think the second year that I worked on it was maybe the first year me and my manager were properly managing it and on the Saturday um everything kind of happens in the building so the young producers um produce a kind of building takeover of like music gigs and cabaret or anything that they want basically they can do anything in the building and then we've got like shows and other things and it's like epic um and like a ball lake at the same time and I remember kind of like walking around and just seeing all the different kinds of people that were in the building some people were here to see a theatre show other people were here for a music gig and you had like this real mash of audiences And I was like, this is cool. And you had people that would never, ever be in that building if it wasn't for what was happening. Mm -hmm. And there was a boy (laughs) on the stairs that had like a bottle of JD in his hand and was like smoking. (laughs) And in my head, I was like, I know you're not allowed to do this, but I'm so glad that you feel comfortable enough (laughs) in the space to be like, of course, of course I'm going to walk around with with a bottle of JD and a spliff in my hand. Why wouldn't I do that? And I was just watching him and I had to go up to him and be like, dude, (laughs) you can't do that. But I was, I was like, but you feel comfortable. The only reason you're doing that is because you feel comfortable. And I was like, that's really cool. It's really great that, in this moment in time this environment feels good enough for you to do that even though we definitely got in trouble for it (laughs) it was like but they had a great time so that for me was like cool we've done something good I think the reason I work in all of these areas is because I just love artists and I love working with them in lots of different ways whether whether that's in like a kind of development way or whether it's about 
giving them money to do their thing and perform in places or if it's just yeah if it's just seeing someone and being like I think you're great I really want to work with you Mm -hmm. um that's always been like the main thing for me Mm -hmm. um I really like when you kind of see everything come together because like producing is very it's quite it's quite lonely like you're pretty you're kind of just in your own head and like by yourself in the build-up yeah so it's a lot of kind of like talking to people and admin and just like trying to set everything up Mm. that sometimes you forget that it's going to be a real thing yeah and then you see it kind of come together like with um Caleb's film like I saw everyone on set and I was like oh um, this is very exciting oh, um, yeah. <laughs> or like with the festival that I'm doing at the Bush Theatre like seeing the poster yeah. I was like oh okay like this it's a real thing yeah. I have to like do it now yes. and that for me is like it's really scary but it's really exciting I think for me yeah that's amazing um because I guess that people don't realize um the kind of work that goes behind something like that yeah and but for you you're like you know the end the end result i guess is what you're really really after yeah and you're really going towards um so like when when an artist imagine okay i'm I'm an artist um Mm. what do i need to what do i need to be thinking i need to come to you for Mm. You know, so, and that's what I wanted to ask you, like, you know, just to better understand your position. Yeah. Could you tell me why, as an artist, I need to know Toby? Uh, <laughs> I think I think it depends on what the artist needs at that point. Like, there are lots of different kinds of producers, and I feel like, because in theatre anyway, there are so few mm-hmm. that people kind of like, they're just like, oh, okay, you're a producer. Cool, we're going to work together. Mm-hmm. But actually, it's a bit like dating. Like, you need to understand if they even care about the art form that you're doing. Yeah. You know, if they are, do, are interested in the same process as you. Like, I like to be... I'm, I hate this term, but I'm more of a creative producer. Mm-hmm. I feel like producing is creative inherently, but yes. I like to be more on the ground and, like, kind of around the art of it and yeah. be able to talk to the artist about the art of it. Whereas some other producers might be more administrative or financial. Um, So it kind of depends. But I think for me, I like work that's multi-art form. Um, I like work that's a bit experimental. That sounds a little bit crazy. Like it's going to be hard work. I don't know why that's like... like, It's going to be really hard work. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, I think I like work that's kind of big thinking Mm. and that has a real kind of core audience at the heart of it like you can you can see who the work is for and why they want to do that work that's what gets me like really interested so I think if an artist is looking for someone if an artist is looking to make work that is experimental in the way that they're trying to do it Mm -hmm that involves kind of different art forms or different elements kind of put together mm-hmm. if it's not linear so if, if it's not like a kind of straight traditional play okay. um and if they want someone that I guess understands lots of different industries yeah. and can give a creative input on a kind of wider scale with yeah. like an overview of the future yeah then I would say come to me mm. 
if you're looking for someone that's just going to fundraise money yeah. and leave you alone, yeah. that's a fundraiser. Yeah. That's not a producer. <laughs> <That's> not producer. <laughs> Get a fundraiser. Okay. Obviously, fundraising is also part of my job. But like, yeah, stuff like that, I think. Okay. Your job as a producer is to not only fundraise and not only chuck the money at the people that need yeah. it but also to have a overview creatively that's that's specifically to you you like to you, t- you like to have some sort of creative input mm-hmm. um and on, in addition to that you also um source what they need mm-hmm. to put up their show mm-hmm. and you specifically like to go towards the experimental artists or artists that that have a meaning behind what they're saying and that's when you're really like I'm going to work with you and I'm going to put my foot in it yeah <laughs> okay okay cool and um and um what excites you about that kind of work like what what is the where is the joy that 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 you feel that comes from doing that I just think it's something different I didn't know when I I feel like the people that I work with now are people that would be making work that I would have wanted to see, see. when I was younger um and so when they're talking about it and I can see it in my head, I think that's it as well. Like if I can kind of see a, a version of it in my in my brain and I can see the kind of people that would want to come to that, I'm just sort of like, of course, like people have, this has to be physicalised. Yes. Um, it should be physicalised because I think this is something that's going to further this art form. It's something that's missing in the artistic landscape. Yes. Um it's a vision that I believe in and I think it's a vision that other people will believe in and just don't know Mm. that someone's even thinking about making something like that. Mm. Um, It's a story that should be told and shared. Mm. Um, And I'm, and just like future possibilities as well. Like I'm really excited about like how far things can go. Um, Especially for like the artists that are making the work. Yes. And and you've talked about the kind of artists that you want to work with and, and why they should come to you. But could you tell me, let's flip it a bit. Could you tell me about the people that you don't want coming to you or you feel like I'm not, <laughs> that I'm not the one for you? Yeah. What kind of people, what kind of um, characters or, uh, um, you know, profiles do, do those come under? Like, mm, I'm not into Shakespeare. I'm probably never going to produce a Shakespeare play. <laughs> But if you're doing like a version of Shakespeare on Shakespeare on with like a grime orchestra, okay. then cool. Okay. Maybe we can have a conversation. Okay. So it depends on how you're doing it. But like the original thing, I'm, if, if I don't like something, I won't do it because okay. it's a long process. And mm-hmm. I think to do it, you have to love it. Yes. Um, especially with the people that you work with as well. Like you have to like them. Yeah. Because you you work together a lot, like really closely, and you have to be able to say, no, we cannot hang this thing off a ceiling because it's going to cost a lot of money, mm. and they've got to trust that that's in the best interests. Okay. Um. So I think I wouldn't. I guess I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to work with someone that just can't listen. Because okay. I think that will just make the process yeah. unnecessarily difficult. Um, I don't really like coming into the middle of a process so like sometimes people have kind of done all the groundwork and they just want someone to kind of raise money so it can go on and I think the most creative bit is the bit at the beginning where you're kind of sitting down on a table and you're just like what does this even look like Mm. like this is like a first draft of of this thing Mm -hmm. 
Like, I, I can't even imagine what this looks like right now. Let's talk it through. Yeah. Um, I like kind of starting at the genesis or around the genesis or something. So okay. I don't really like coming into the middle where decisions have already been made. Okay. So, yeah. I feel like that's probably where your creativity comes from. The fact that there's like uh, an opportunity for uh, creation, an opportunity for you to, for your creation to, to, to mean something yeah. in a project. I, f- I guess that's where your creative hat is on because yeah. most creatives like never want to come in the middle yeah. we want to come at the beginning a blank canvas is the best thing to yeah. us isn't it yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's like i guess that's where it kind of comes in because if you come in the middle of the process you're just kind of facilitating something that's already yeah. there it's not really a creation of yours yeah it's like just you're helping it happen whereas if you come in in the beginning and and the conception of it you like you can create something you yeah. know yeah. so i get I, I get what you're saying i kind of understand that a little bit in addition to your producing i know a little birdie told me there's something else that you kind of created for the community <laughs> now i don't know what it is with it so i just want you to tell me what this bird is talking about <laughs> do you know what i mean as well what? as the many hats she wears as a producer toby is also the founder of the black ticket project the black ticket project is a project that gives black people particularly young black people the opportunity to experience theatre for free or at a discounted rate in the hope of widening the artistic palette of black people and exposing them to new forms of expression that truly represent them what else do you do toby (laughs) okay (laughs) so i facilitate a thing called black ticket project which is just about getting black young people to see theatre mm-hmm. um, that either don't go to the theatre regularly or have never seen anything before um, or are just intrigued by it but don't have the funds to access it mm-hmm. um, that is the basic aim of it it's yeah. not really about if people go on to become like directors and writers and cool but it's not really about that it's just about having the choice to see something yes. and having that thing as a reference to whatever it is that you want to do and it could literally be like I never want to make something like that because that was really crap or it could be like that was amazing or it could be like I really loved that bit but I didn't really like that bit like to feel like you you can have a valid opinion in saying what you like but also like more importantly what you don't like and just like feeling like you have ownership over a space that historically we we haven't had ownership over and why do you think it's important that um uh, the black community are exposed to theater i think i feel like it's just like a basic thing that people should have access to Mm. a lot of these buildings are publicly funded they're paid for by the public with taxpayers money and stuff they're meant to be public buildings which means that yeah, you can walk in and you can see stuff and there shouldn't be a barrier to that. Um, And I also feel like no one asks, like, why it's important that white middle-class people get to see fear. They just do it. It's just a thing as part of their life. And I'm just like, well, it should be a thing for black young people as well to feel like, yeah, of course I'm going to go see this show. Mm -hmm. Because why why wouldn't I? I, I, And I I guess that's that's the issue because the why wouldn't I question 
will relate to reasons why mm-hmm. they can't yeah. and which is the reasons that I guess you alleviate them of such problems and mm-hmm. um, thereby making it something that of course they can do yeah definitely um and what do you say to people who have an issue with that listen <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so my lovely friend Paula wrote about it for the um, online independent paper. And the amount of people that were just like, why is there not like a white ticker project? Or if that existed, da 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 da. And I'm just like, look, however many people have access to theatre is a win. Like, that's all I'm trying to do. If you want to set up a white ticket project, drop me the link, I'll I'll donate some money to you. I'm not precious about this project in a way that means like no you can't make that thing mm-hmm. of course yeah make that thing mm-hmm. and there are things that that um i feel like people seeing that ticket project has inspired them to do something similar for um their own pieces of work or for other particular demographics yeah and i think that's amazing that's what should be happening so i'm just like if we can all widen the access to theater a hundred percent we should do that mm-hmm. And I think people forget that I'm also just like one individual. I'm not an institution. And actually the onus lies with institutions because this is just the thing that institutions can do but aren't doing themselves. So someone else is. But really the responsibility lies with them and funding bodies to be able to create that access. So they need to redirect that to them instead of this one person just trying to do one tiny, tiny thing. To make sure that someone gets to see something. That's true. That's wow. Um, and um, and so with regards to uh, um, the not so nice comments, for example, <laughs> about this thing that you're doing, um, how how have you handled it? How have you handled it? Like I'm talking about via social media. I'm talking yeah. about how have you handled it? I think. Um... I was expecting them. I think when I initially set up, like I did, I already had people saying, oh, you know, like change the name and blah, 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 before it was even like proper out into the ether. Okay. And I was just like, but the whole point is about this very specific demographic. Yeah. I'm not going to change the name. So I was, I was expecting it anyway. I think I've learned to pick my battles. Okay. So I don't respond to everything. Yes. I kind of expect it and then I see it and I'm just like, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, but I won't respond to everything. So in that whole thing, I only responded to the, to the one person that was like, well, if I set up a white ticket project, it would be racist. And I was like, <laughs> set one up and I'll donate. And then they didn't get back to me. So I'm just like, well, there yeah. you go. <laughs> just here, just making noise. Because you know it's actually not worth your time yeah. to do it. Yeah. And I just feel that the positivity has been, it's just like so much more yeah. than those comments. Like it's been amazing the amount of people that are like backing it and supporting it and the amount of people that are getting to see stuff yeah. most importantly and that will always trump like someone being like what about a white ticket project like because yeah. i because i also don't care about that as well i'm mm. sort of like if i saw that pop up tomorrow i'd be like cool great because that's not the reason behind why you're doing it yeah. you know your reasoning is literally to make t- uh, theatre more accessible to people who need it yeah. from the black community and 
and that that's the be all and end all. <laughs> so if somebody else is, and uh, and which is uh, what I think is really amazing and a winning mindset, and um, that I feel like you have because I feel like in all the work I've seen you do, is that there is a lack of fear, whether you know it or not. There is a lack of fear that is kind of like laced into it because um, not many people do so much so quickly you know and period you know and it's and it's like there must be something you know behind you, you know there must be something that just gives you permission you probably give yourself permission um that you know normal or other people don't actually give themselves mm. normally other people don't give themselves so um based on what i just said i wanted to find out like you being toby where <laughs> and what what in your background and what in your life um, made you make decisions to um, be a go-getter in this mm. way? Like, if we if we really dig deep, like, yeah. I, for real, like, what is the thing that makes you go, do you know what, I'm going to get up every morning and do this? Mm. What is it? I feel like... I feel like I've always been quite self-sufficient. Um because I had to be to a certain extent. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, in a very typical way of being like an elder sibling and eldest daughter as well. You're, you're the first of how many? First of five. When you've got other kids in the house that need support and attention and other stuff, like you're not the priority, basically. Mm-hmm. Like you're, Yeah. You uh, you can do things yourself. Yeah. You're you're supposed to meant to you're you're meant to do things yourself. Mm-hmm. And same with like school as well. Like I don't really have like that many friends or whatever. So I'd be I think I spent a lot of time just by myself okay. and like having to navigate situations by myself and just and always being like my own motivator. And I think I I can only realize that in retrospect because at the time I would never say. I was motivating myself at the time it was like I want to die yes but now I was sort of like okay I just need to finish school just need to finish school then I'm gonna leave and do this or I'm gonna do this but I just need to get past this initial thing first to even get to that point but at the time that's probably not how it felt it was probably more like what like what am I doing with my life and so I think yeah in retrospect I can only like see that in myself and see that even though I had a lot less confidence or a lot less self-belief there was always like a little fire that was just like just keep going like just keep pushing almost there almost at the end and then then it would come through and when would you say the self-estimation like your self-esteem self-estimation of yourself was uh, what became of importance I speak to Toby about self-esteem and what led her to this role as a creative as it is never ever an easy road secondary school was really hard for me I got bullied a lot well I got bullied a lot through like primary and secondary school so for like quite a majority of my like growing up from like the age of six to like 16 so that's quite a long time and it's in like really key development stages of you growing as a person um and so going to college was I went to college in um Richmond which was very far from where I live but I didn't realize it at the time on the train maybe like over an hour there and back so I live I live in Streatham now I used to live in Tooting and I'll go from like Tooting to Twickenham every day 
Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a journey. <laughs> I was doing like cross crunchy and stuff like that. <laughs> College was like, it was like starting again because like no one really knew me. Okay. I was doing a very different thing. So I didn't do A-level, so I did a B-tech. Okay. So I felt a little bit more in my element. Like GCSEs I struggled with because of the exam stuff. I didn't understand it, but I liked writing and I liked mapping the process and a BTEC was me mapping the process and writing about how I felt about stuff. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. So I was already starting in a better place because I felt like I was doing something that I could achieve. Um, and I think it also allowed me to like be who I was at that point. I think in school, you're there for a long time. And so people still think about you as like the 12 year old that started school and not the 16 year old that you were then. Mm-hmm. And the way that you've changed dramatically, which is why I felt like I I had to leave secondary school because I couldn't have gone to my sixth form and grown as a person. Because there'd still be people there being like, like but I remember you when you were like this. And it's like, but I'm not like that now. And that's what mattered to me. So that was my reason for leaving school and going to college. And I feel like when I could step into myself and be like, okay, this is who I am at this very moment. Um it just gave me a little bit more kind of, that gave me more self-belief, I think. Mm. I think the moment where I stopped caring absolutely was maybe near nine where I cut my hair off. Okay. Accidentally, but I cut my hair off. Okay. <laughs> and I was just like... Cool. What was, what was that, what was surrounding that experience? You cut your hair off for yeah. no reason or for a reason? I meant to trim it. <laughs> <laughs> I meant to trim it and I just trimmed it too much and then I was just like whatever I might as well just cut it off so I had like really short hair um and obviously in school like but it wasn't fun to have short hair in school back, back in at day. that time yeah, yeah, yeah. no like if you didn't have long hair you were it's ugly. long and like, if you didn't have other people's hair as well it's yeah. even worse bruv like yeah no i understand <laughs> you know what I mean? okay like, coming to school with no hair like i got cussed so much for it but i i didn't care it was like the first time in my schooling where i didn't care what other people were saying yeah. and i remember i had like a sports day and this guy came up to me i think he was in a different year because i didn't recognize him and he was like why did you cut your hair and i was like because i wanted to and he was like, okay. And that was, and I was just like, that's it. Like, that's my reasoning because I wanted to. Like, and he was like, cool. And then left me alone. And I think <laughs> for me, that was like a real, like, I actually don't care yeah, that's what, what anyone that's thinks. That's like, what I don't. You, that's what cutting your hair does to you. For real. My Britney oh, Spears goodness. moment. In it. <laughs> you know? I don't care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> What are you saying now? What are you saying now? <laughs> No, for real. I, I hear you, girl. I hear you. So so you had a really hard time um, from um, secondary school and then going into uh, college, you had a turnover in your experience, yeah, right? Um, when was the first time that you picked up producing or when was the first leg in mm-hmm. for you? Unofficially when I was 16. Okay. So I was... Um, there's a fit in near where I lived called Oval House in Oval. And um, I met someone who introduced me to someone that worked there. And they ran a scheme called Young Associates. They still run it. And he was like, come in and interview for this thing. You know, and I didn't understand what it was. All I knew is that it was like £100 a month. 
and you got an arts award. And I was like, cool, that's all I need to know. I'm 16, that's a lot of money to me. Um, and so I went in and um, became a young associate for a year. And so it was a mixture of like, at the time, like when I think, again, in retrospect, when I think now is actually quite big, but we, I assisted on producing this like huge promenade show called The Streets, which was set in like, different locations around Camberwell so in like a laundrette in a chicken shop in a Mm co-op in a car in the middle of the street like all over the place and the audience was like guided round and in each location were different performers and now I think about I'm like that was actually a very big show (laughs) to have like worked on Mm -hmm. so I ended up doing that and like writing a little bit performing a little bit like I did a little bit of everything so that was like my kind of like unofficial okay this is how like people make work. Okay. This is interesting. Then when I was 18 and I left college, mm. I did, I started an apprenticeship at Battersea Arts Centre because okay. I was very existential about going to university or going to drama school because at the time it was very performance-based. It was like, so now you're going to go be an actor. Okay. And I had one teacher in um, college called Gavin who like in the second year before everyone was about to leave or like apply for things was like if you don't want to be an actor don't go to drama school and I was like oh that was like my three-year plan (laughs) but I don't want to be an actor I don't think I ever wanted to do that I just liked being in the presence of great performers and I liked watching them and so was kind of figuring out what to do decided to take a gap year which is just working because yeah. I'm not rich to be traveling up to India yeah. and being like, I found myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, ended up um, joining BAC and doing an apprenticeship there in community arts administration. Okay. And that was my first like official, official, this is what producing is. And I was confused for a long time. Oh. I'd say for like a year and a half, I was like, I don't understand any of this. I was seeing the weirdest shows. Like, it just like blew my mind. Um, but I think after that kind of first year, I was like, okay, I get, I kind of get it. I think I've sat in a few meetings. I've seen all the shows because they were free okay. and I was just seeing everything. Um then after that first year, I started actually producing stuff, okay. which is which was really scary. And I got a lot of things wrong, um, but that eighteen was like the official friend to the deep end. Really, this is what it is. Yeah, I had to do like the first thing I ever had to do was like a report. You have to do like a quarterly report okay. to um, arts council to say this is how we've spent your money basically okay. and it's like both qualitative and quantitative so mm-hmm. exact numbers of who you've engaged and also like here are some pictures and some nice words people have said yeah. and I just remember I cried because I couldn't figure out the formulas on the excel thing and like I was like I don't know what any of this means so Jeez. I just like cried and my manager was like okay let's like talk through it I'll do it this time but like just watch this is how it's done so literally like straight into the deep end for me and that's what makes you so great at what you do because <laughs> because now at such a young age you're running things <laughs> like like you know you're really running things in the boardroom fam like I don't even understand okay now with regards to like the um the 
uh, projects that you've done and yeah. um, what would you say that is your I'm talking about produ- producing wise what would you say has been your favorite um so far like you've you've, you've really uh enjoyed doing you could you could just say the specific project but you could yeah. just explain what it was you really enjoyed doing in it it'll probably be Caleb's film okay. Wishbone that was the first like film based thing I ever worked on okay. um so I didn't know what I was doing is that the one that was shot at Battersea Arts Club? yeah okay. um but obviously because I used to work at BAC I know yeah. that build. like I love that building okay. um like the architecture of it and yeah, I think it's a very nice building. yeah it's it's beautiful yeah. um and Ken's one of my favourite artists. I really appreciate his work. Mm-hmm. And I'm a really big fan. So I was like, yes, mm-hmm. finally get to work together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just like such a different process to like producing a show. Mm-hmm. It all happened very, very, very quickly. And there were lots of people involved in mm-hmm. terms of like the crew that we had with us and yes. the way that everything came together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just like watching it all happen... Mm-hmm. And then seeing the end result, like, kind of just, like, blew my mind. And it was such a beautiful day. Like, everyone was super lovely and just, like, was there because they wanted to be there and because they just loved the idea and they loved, yeah, what could, what could become. Because okay. I guess you don't really know unless you, like, until you've wrapped it and you're looking back at everything you've shot and it could all be rubbish. Yes. And you could be like, well, that was a waste of time. Yes. <laughs> or it could be amazing. Yes, and yeah and I just think every time I watch it I'm just like this is such a beautiful piece of work and I don't think I've ever felt so like proud to be involved in something so like beautiful and I think that film was really beautiful so I think yeah for me that was like the most exciting thing and what was your addition to that project were you a producer yeah I was producing it you produced it so you you produced an actual film yeah that is amazing (laughs) that is so amazing All right, so what I also want to talk about now is the other side of things. Yeah. Um, I feel like what's so important about people like yourselves um, is that there's always a story behind why you do what you do. Yeah. There's always a reason behind it. And what you said earlier um, is something that I want to pick up on when you were like... Um, you spent a lot of time alone. Mm. And I feel like I was saying that I say this to like uh, my creative friends. I said it to Caleb, you know, about um, being alone. Mm. Like, you know, creativity comes from um, silence. It comes from um, being alone. Like it, it, whatever you want to imagine and cultivate can only come from yourself by being by yourself mm. like most of the greatest ideas it never actually happen in a room for the people mm. or talking to people it actually happens when you're on your ones mm. and so when you was like you know i was I spent loads of time alone even unfortunately being bullied that must have added to your loneliness which must have added to your drive mm. which must have added to your self-motivation so my question is like now like what do you actually want to do? Like, what is it? What is the, what is the, you know, if I do this thing, then I know that I'm on my way. I feel like I've never known what I've wanted to do. Mm. I've always just been like, this is interesting. Yes. I'll do this for a while. Oh, that's interesting. I'll go and do that. Mm. Um, I feel like if there's something that I could do now, it would be like a big, like a huge kind of like multi art form experience Mm. like big in scale I think the next thing for me is about scale and scaling up um and kind of 
bringing in the artists that I really love now and the artists that I work with that want to work to that scale, but no one has any money. Mm-hmm. So getting lots of money mm-hmm. and being able to commission artists to make something that is huge yes. and make it something that's really big. Like every time I go to like um, 180 The Strand, okay. they do like huge, like, mul- like multi-story building exhibitions. Okay. And I'm just like, someone had an idea to do this. Mm. And hella money. Yeah. And then did it. Yeah. And had, like, incredible artists involved in that. And I think, for me, like, that's, like, the next thing in my head. It's just mm-hmm. about scale and Im- and the impact of that scale. Yes. Um, but it isn't, like, a specific thing, because I literally don't know what I'm doing. No, I hear you. None <laughs> of us do. Ain't nobody know. <laughs> don't nobody know what adulting the hell means. Wow. We don't know. If somebody wanted to work with you, um, if there was an artist out there who really wanted to work with you after hearing you speak, after hearing, after seeing the things that you do, and they were like, I want Toby to see me, um, what are your criterias? What are the things? What hurdles do they have to jump over? <laughs> if we're like making initial contact, be very specific with what it is mm-hmm. and what you want me to do or what you want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Unnecessary meetings, 2019, no more. Thank I you very much. I can't do it. I can't. I stopped that in 2000, <laughs> 2000 what's it, 2009. <laughs> I was like, nah. <laughs> it's too much, man. Yeah. There is nothing worse than an unnecessary meeting where someone doesn't really know yeah. what they want to talk about. Or if you don't even know, just say, look, I'm not quite sure like, what this thing is, but this is why I want to meet you. Yeah. I think like being very specific just makes things more time efficient. Mm-hmm. If you can, avoid a meeting, do a phone call, do a Skype, something. Yeah. But if we have to meet, just be honest and specific yeah. um, is like my main, main criteria. Um, look up the things that I've worked on because, um, again, it feels like if you're going to pitch something that I have no interest in, mm-hmm. then why? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <laughs> or, like, ask the question and be like, I don't know if you're interested in this, but this is what I'm doing. What do you think? And mm. at least I can respond to that. But sometimes I've literally had people just be like, oh, you're a producer. So I've got the show and it's a, a Shakespeare, da, 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 or it's like a Greek tragedy, something's opera, something. And I'm just like okay and where do I fall into that because at the moment you're just telling me how exciting you think this thing is and mm-hmm. you're, you haven't asked I'm excited by it mm-hmm. that's going to be the whole point of us working together yep. so I try to understand if I'm excited about something because mm-hmm. um, you know we're meant to be working together and it's not just sort of like well I've got a thing and you're a producer so of course you're going to produce it because yes. I will say no I feel like in my gut, I know whether this is something that I have to work on. Like, for a long time, I stopped producing shows, like theatre productions, because they just take a long time. Like, they suck the life out of you. And I'm working on a show now called Juve, which is about carnival. Um, And lots of different things, but it's saying carnival. So the writer um, and the director dropped me an email and was like, hey, this is who we are we're making this piece of work, we're looking for a producer, we really like you for these reasons, here's a script. And in my head I was like, oh, I'm not working on any shows. (laughs) But I read the script. But even before I even read the script, but from the description of what they were saying, I was like, oh, 
this sounds exciting, but I don't want to do a show. Then I read the script and I was just like, man, like I can see this in my head. It's epic. So we met up and as soon as I met up with them, I was like, yeah, I'm definitely going to do this. Like, it's just that gut feeling. Yeah. And um, I really appreciate my gut feeling. I listen to it most of the time. Yeah. And so I feel like when I, when people kind of talk about something or I read about something and my gut is like, that's a good thing. Yeah. That's it. I'm sold. I asked Toby to tell me ways that I can go about being a producer myself if I so happened to want to take up this hat. If I wanted to become a producer, what would be the thing that you would say, do more of this? Um, mm, 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 mm. I feel like people produce every day. They just don't know it. Like, if you've ever arranged a surprise birthday party, if you've ever arranged... Uh, a group holiday <laughs> if you've ever put on your own exhibition your own little music gig if you've ever just tried to get all your mates in one place at one time mm-hmm. all of that is producing yeah. um, I would I would say see stuff and understand what you don't like because mm-hmm. um, that just helps kind of understand the way that you produce yeah. and the kind of work that you're interested in um and understanding like your own systems in terms of like organizationally sometimes i read people's budgets and i'm just like i don't know what any of this says because it's not in assist it's not in my system Mm -hmm. and so i would figure out what the best systems are Mm -hmm. for you and um how it will allow you to work in the most efficient way um yeah those would be like my main you have been listening to WIA BGK, the What If a Black Girl New podcast. This podcast is sponsored by my one woman show, showing at Battersea Arts Centre on the 21st, 22nd, and 23rd of March. For women, get your tickets now. I'm from the school of giving people their roses when they're alive. And I have to just let you know that from somebody watching from afar i'm really grateful that you exist um and no honestly because i feel like we can get caught up in um what's it clout right and you can forget that there's really real people behind these projects behind giving artists an opportunity behind actual real work that keeps us alive you know and so i really want to just you know acknowledge you and be like don't stop if you can't, if you can, sorry, <laughs> don't stop if you can. And just like keep going because I really appreciate how much you put into it. I feel like I'm very grateful for you and um, I can't wait to see the blessings that come your way. I just wanted to give you that. But before we leave, I have three last questions for you. Okay. The first one is using the sentence, what if a black girl knew? Mm-hmm. Could you please recommend me a book that a black girl should know. What if a black girl knew Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston? Such a good book. Yeah. It's such a good book, yeah. What's it? That, that, uh, that... Their Eyes Were Watching God. Their Eyes Were Watching God. Okay, wow, I have to read that. Read it. I haven't read it. Yeah. I will. Um, the second thing is um, using the same sentence, What if a black girl knew? Could you please give uh, advice to your younger self? What if a black girl knew not to give up? Great things were coming through the grind. 
you're on your way to like do some really really great things that you're gonna love and enjoy and this space isn't forever we'll never really see these people again so (laughs) ride it out yes yes (laughs) yes in it (laughs) because when you're there you feel like let me die now literally but the truth is if you don't die you get to dance on the the grave (laughs) self you get to dance on their grave (laughs) because okay last but not least using a sentence what if a black girl knew could you please recommend me somebody that i should know oh so many people what if a black girl knew lynette linton lynette linton she's the bush theater she's a boss producer director director great she's a g she's such a g inspiring super inspiring can't wait to meet her. I have learned so much from Toby on becoming and being a good producer and not just becoming a producer, but actually pushing for social change. What if a black girl knew? Toby Kiramatang. What if a black girl knew that she would be desired by others only if she desired herself? That beauty is not a shade, but a mindset and the best indicator of it is self-confidence. As I talk some sense, insert here confidence.